0: the reasons we started this pod is we've been watching the Democratic primary for about a year now. I know, Elton, you had some strong opinions. Uh, I was like, Elton, you're being a little bit of a Facebook warrior out there. Am I wrong to say I mean, a lot of us had our... I feel like I was the adult in this room, you know what I mean? And I had my heart with Bernie, but my head with Biden. I didn't
1: have any heart with Bernie. This guy, <laughs> this guy right here, gave money to Elizabeth Warren. I just want to make it clear. Right after she, after she finished fifth, third, and fourth, and he was, I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" I was so mad at him. You know, he knows I was there. And, and I'm like, "What the hell are you doing?" He's like, "I just feel like she still needs to be in this." And then the next week, after she, after she, wait, 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 and then after she spoils Texas and like basically makes Bernie like, this starts this whole media bullshit, right? As, as we call it in the, in the Sanders camp, Black Monday, after that day, Alder comes to be like, oh man, maybe maybe that was a bad idea. Oh, really? Oh, you think? <laughs> okay, now, nah, go ahead, you have the floor. No, I mean. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a strong opinions, just a, a couple of. A couple I of just things.
0: thought it was something that needed to. Be, I just thought she had a voice that needed to be expressed, you know I I mean? I was trying to reform neoliberalism while it could still live.
1: Oh, uh, it's about to reform itself, all right. I think you're seeing a
0: reform process right now. I mean, I'm just a disillusioned globalist, Alton. A disillusioned globalist.
1: Yeah, I think it's safe to say you lost. <laughs> Globalism's <laughs> over, bro. <laughs> COVID, whatever chance globalism had, COVID just looked at it and shot, took it out back and shot it in the head. There will be some kind of
0: new, as you were saying, new localism. Yeah, I mean...
1: That'll probably come out of this.
0: One of the best books I've been reading is this book by Steven Weber uh, Weber uh, called Block by Block and I mean he talks about these idea of these new regionalisms, these macro regions that are going to emerge and he says that China in some ways was pointing the way. I mean I think we might agree one of our big disagreements one of our big disagreements as Americans with China has been their refusal which might have actually proven to be smart on their part uh, their decision late in the 90s that they were no under no circumstances were they going to allow the, the Googles and Facebooks of the world to have free reign in the Chinese market and that they were going to try to develop local champions. I think they, to their credit, I mean, it's a big problem maybe in some ways, but to their credit, they saw what was happening, right? That it was going to be a winner-take-all situation. Well, China, very
1: early on, China and Russia, though, they've, their approach to it has been very different over the years. Mostly due to the way America decides to get involved in their affairs as well, but they've all, they've, but they've both always had a very different perspective on information than we have as Americans. Um, they've always seen information as having inherent value, um, whereas we see information as as having um, utile value. Like it's so either information is utile or it's not. Like either it serves your goals or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, then we don't like to deal with it, right? We just ignore it and look for information that serves our... They don't believe in that. They have a very different holistic approach to information, which is why now they're, they're able to weaponize it um, much, much better than we have. Because they've been doing it in different ways, and subtle ways, for a very, very, very long time. And they just have a more holistic view. But do
0: you think that we oh, really undervalue information? I mean, in public law, right, we undervalue information. So, I mean, think about it, like... The way we set up our contracts as a user with the platform. You basically are like, hey, it's been great. I love putting up pictures of my cat. Actually, I don't own any of the pictures of my cat anymore. They're all now the property of this platform, which does stuff with them. Which is true. But but one could argue that you're
1: making the, the classic... It's like a microcosm of the classic Russo social contract, right? When you do that. That you're giving up certain rights, namely privacy, for the right to, like, this controlled social environment. And so in that sense, I think it's very, very acceptable to most people because it's what you have to do every day. Like, maybe I want to go
0: walk outside and grab my newspaper naked some morning, but I can't do it. You know? Because, I mean, we would have said, right? I mean, our classic Silicon Valley mantra was that information wants to be free, right? Yes. But, I mean, but we... And And it does, and this and and to some we have to saying
1: in software right libre no gratis and that's basically the thing right like free free as in freedom or free as in like without cost those are not free means different things mm. so maybe
0: may, in a different times it's always free in one or the other form mm. but i mean i think it's an interesting dilemma right because you know with data Or information, and correct me, if I could be just, you know, way out here now. But for me, like, my own personal pictures. Like, my dad has a collection of photos that haven't been uploaded to Facebook. But they're also not indexed. And we can't do anything with them, right? I mean, we just... (laughs) We just, like, we just have them in a chest. And so they're not really worth anything to me as unindexed, mm, non-uploaded photos. And so, of course, I was willing to give them maybe... To Facebook, right? I'm like, oh, Facebook indexes them. They make them searchable, shareable. Uh, they do facial recognition technology. They even tell me who is in the pictures. But but I'm like at a disadvantage or it's an asymmetric relationship, right? Because Facebook itself now can do all these other things because it has all of our data. And I think one of the interesting things about the US is that we've always thought of that as like, like what you're saying, a kind of, Lockean Rousseauian contract, right, between two, two consenting adults. Whereas I guess, I think one of the things interesting about no, well, I don't think I don't think Locke and Rousseau argue that it's uh, two consenting adults, right? Maybe not. Maybe not even two consenting adults. Two two people got so stuck in a contract. Says, Every everywhere I'm in chains
1: is what he says,
0: right? That's true. That's but, true. But but we often talk about it like it's a contract, right? We're like, yeah, these two people who were aware entered into this deal, but we don't. But we don't, we're not worried about the idea. It seems that Facebook and me aren't actually coming to the table, sort of on the same plane. We like we pretend that it was voluntaristic, the contract. Well, use, you
1: voluntarily uploaded your data to Facebook, though. That's true. But that's the thing. That was completely voluntary, thus far. Now, in the future, that might change with all of this facial recognition software. That's something we can talk about later, like in another episode probably. But like with all that, like in China, they've said that that's not even voluntary. How about
0: well, that? Well, China, like, I think, we are gonna- has a different idea of the public, right? So I think the same thing that allowed them to say, look, we're not going to let Facebook just take all our people's pictures, is the same thing that allows them to be like, oh, by the way, homie, you don't have a chance to opt up. <laughs> They're like <laughs> I mean they, they literally have a credit system now that's a social
1: rating system that rates you based upon the quality of person they think you are. And it's like our credit system but like not as financially based <laughs> essentially. And you could say that's better or Well, we don't worse know exactly what raised.
0: our credit system is exactly based on either. It's owned by private people by private. I guess that's one of the big questions. Like is it better to have Equifax or is it better to have the National Bank of China a score sign you a score. Well,
1: I think both happen here is the point.
0: Well, that's, well. I guess that's what we've learned also with I mean, some of the discussion of Black Lives Matter is that the government is also assigning you a score. We're just pretending we're not doing it. Correct. Well, I mean, we saw some of the discrepancies with these PPP loans. I don't, think, well, I don't know if we want to get into well, that yet, but <laughs> there have been some discrepancies. Ain't, ain't, see, ain't seen a dime. <laughs> It's got a red set. Today I read in the newspaper there's 130 billion in PPP that hasn't been allocated. Nobody's taking it. Well, I'll take it. Send it over here. I'll send another.
1: I'll send another one. And then they flirted with me and told me that remember that they accepted it. They had me talk to the bank and everything. And then I went and talked to. The, they even said the uh, the Treasury Department had it. Silence. Nothing. So what happened what with
0: the what happened to the Treasury? Is it still in the mail? Yeah, still lost. Gone. I guess when I go back to Princeton, I'm going to see if I ever got my stimulus check. Oh, God. <laughs> I got I got a letter from Trump saying I, I'm getting one. Oh, it's coming.
1: Yeah, I got a handwritten letter. Allegedly. But
0: you were telling me that in FEMA, this... I mean, in Katrina, we didn't actually have these problems. That they were able to give money out efficiently. All right, Democrats are playing games, man.
1: So... You know, one of the big things I've been hoping people that realize more and more out of this thing is that these unemployment numbers for the United States of America are complete bullshit. So you're not believing there's an upswing. But you can count them however you want is the point. Because unemployment is literally just counted by a number of people that are being paid out unemployment benefits at this point in time. Mm. That's who's considered unemployed. So if you're underemployed and you don't qualify for it, then you don't get it. If you're not employed and your employer denied you unemployment benefits because they're jack jack off, you know, you still don't get it. All of these things are true. And so when they have states kick people off or if people forget to sign in on Sunday, and so the states kick them all off by the thousands, then it looks like the numbers get better. And then they have to go submit a new claim. That's why the numbers are all funky. Like you can't, like continued in new claims, you can't even call those like legitimate categories because if you get kicked off, you have to resubmit a new one again.
0: It's, they're playing games, Yeah. You know? I mean, I think everyone's playing games. but I mean, I think the problem is that the unemployment but, system has been designed by so many different administrations and so many local and state governments in order to make them look good, right, that we have an incredibly inefficient unemployment system that neither is providing us an accurate number of unemployed people nor does it deliver benefits in a sensible manner. Or definitely
1: not enough benefits. I mean, we're learning now like the average unemployment benefit for most states was somewhere around like 200 to $300 a, a week for most people. I mean, that's not – you can't live off of that. And then you have Republicans out here complaining that people just might, as my boy Bernie Sanders said, make a dime more um, on unemployment than they did at, at their job uh, working for 6 25 an hour. I mean, it's, it's – it's, you, wow. you
0: saw your boy Lindsey Graham say that he thought people were eating too well. I look a little too happy he's but like, it's like he's like how am I getting them to come to my parties at my villa if the boys is eating
1: yeah well the other side of that if they're not eating though then you get that as Deirdre that right a
0: tat 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 so so you think you gotta, you gotta choose you think it could be choose between you wallet. you think this, you think what we've seen so far could just be the beginning of a hot summer all of Alden, I, I don't know if I told you about this, but the other day,
1: I was outside, okay, looking at my yard, cleaning it up, and this, there were two people, about, I don't know, it's, the woman must be like 50, and her son must be in his 20s, young 20s, and this woman was screaming at her son, because he came back from the butcher with a pack of meat, and it wasn't the right size, and she said last time she gave him, she got the same amount of meat for $2 that he got for $4 this time, so he better bring this pack of meat back and bring her $4 worth of meat, not $2 worth of meat. Simultaneously, I was just like, uh-oh. And my heart broke a little bit. Because we've got people out here fighting over $2 motherfucking dollars of ground meat. I mean, this was like a serious argument, over
0: $2. It's going to be a long summer. I mean, people don't realize how much inflation has happened with food. I mean, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think month on month, the food price has been going up something like 16% in this country. It's crazy out here. People are broke, and the price of food is going through the roof. And the other problem is the market. The market is also going gangbusters. So I think it's wilding out.
1: Market is having a great time right now. So I think
0: we're seeing all these ills, right? I mean, we're seeing an economy where the rich are getting rich and the and the people are out here looking for two dollars worth of ground meat. Well, because the thing that's becoming increasingly
1: obvious and a lot of people don't the media's not gonna talk about because they're just complicit, frankly, is that the majority of people that are invested in the stock market are professional class and they're still working. They were working before this. They're they're either working from home during this or they're in the medical field and they're working in the medical field right now during COVID and they're still making money and they're still investing and they're still living just fine. My friend's a doctor the other day just sent me a picture. I, I swear to. He just got delivered all this caviar from Russia. He was asking me, well, what did he should be eating his caviar with? And I was like, I mean, it looks great. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, I don't know if this is like it's it's just so emblematic of the times. Mm. I mean, this is the new Gilded Age, where you've got some people fighting over two dollars worth of ground meat from the corner store, and then I've got friends texting me about like this packet of caviar they got shipped to them from Iran.
0: But it's not just. You know? it's like, but I mean, I think even within the professional class, the big thing is that we're starting to see is we're starting to see a sharp divergence between winners and losers, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe yeah. I sit in academia, where it's like. You know, I got boys in academia making like $240,000 to do the same job that we got other people making $30,000 without health insurance. They got the same degrees, same, you know, we can't really explain. The only thing we can explain is that the person making $30,000 might be teaching more students than the person, it's definitely teaching more students than the person making $240,000.
1: Yeah, you need to teach less and uh, think more. You get paid a lot more for thinking, not for teaching. You gotta think, player. <laughs> it's all us. That's, that's the game. You gotta, you gotta do. You gotta, do you, gotta you gotta
0: have big thoughts. That's why you also can't write too much. You right you because that could slow down your big thoughts.
1: Yeah, that famous sculpture is called the Thinker, not the Teacher. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone idolize the Thinker. But we know it's the same, right? I mean, it's the same across the economy, right? We got them boys in entourage or whatever driving around. Just doing big thoughts. Or like on Black AF, right? They're just doing big thoughts, big thinking. Going to Coachella and making money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I guess it's for another
1: pod. I mean, you're right. In the past, the, the government does have other ways to pay us out. Uh, it's just to answer your question. During Katrina, we got direct checks. Um, they, they sent checks directly to people. Um, the federal government paid through FEMA. Um, and you filled out some little form, and they sent you a check mm-hmm. directly. If, if they want to do that now, they probably could. Uh, too much politics going on. You know, there's an election this year.
0: Democrats wanted the unemployment numbers to go up. Well, I mean, the Republicans are saying that it was all a Democratic scam, right? This whole COVID thing. They're calling it Democratic science. Oh, it's a hoax. What I'm worried about, and this is
1: serious, what do you think... This is this should be like one of a pretty big question too. Do you think we can actually get through this? Do you think people will take the vaccine once the vaccine comes out? Like with all of this rhetoric coming from the right, this is one of my biggest concerns with the whole COVID thing. I really think there's going to be a, a not insignificant portion of the population that's going to refuse a vaccine. Then what? Then what do you
0: do? Yeah, I think a lot of people will refuse the vaccine, but I guess the question is, what happens if? some of us take the vaccine and a lot of people don't take the vaccine. Will we simply never get to immunization?
1: Yeah. I think that's what happened. I think it's like a big waste of money and time. Or it will become
0: like the flu shot.
1: No, but it's more deadly than the flu, so... I mean... Mm.
0: I think... thing. I mean, there's a part of me that's optimistic, but then there's a big part of me that's pessimistic and thinks that this is like... The beginning of a series of like, crises that we're unprepared for, like because it goes two ways. If if Trump wins, he won't. I don't think he'll
1: mandate that people get the vaccine, right? But if Biden wins, he'll definitely mandate that people get the vaccine.
0: But people will refuse.
1: Yeah, and say it's this democratic scam to I don't know put copper or 5G in their veins I mean, or something. You, I don't I know. Don't know if you People scare
0: that. that 5G. I don't know if you listened to that video that our friend sent us on Facebook Messenger by Listen To It. It's already going around. It has all those views. Facebook had to take it off. And they were basically saying it's like some kind of scam of Bill Gates, the WHO, Fauci is a spy. It's like the QAnon type stuff, right? You know, it's deep state conspiracy and they're going to force us to take this vaccine and then... I don't know, sell our blood is like, vampire liquid or something like that. Mm. And so you already see it coming.
1: Is it going to be like, it's sorry to bother you? Am I going to at least get, like, a big donkey dick? <laughs> <laughs> Just curious. Like, how does this play out for them? Like, what's the end game? What, like what do they think, like, that we're really going to do to them?
0: I mean, the other thing that we're starting to see is these kind of bubbles of, what do they call bubbles of safety? So maybe, I mean... We're living in two different worlds, right? And maybe increasingly, some of us will live in the world where we believe that there's a virus and a vaccine, like in China, right? You're gonna have these, like, you know, your iPhone, it'll the scan will come up, it says you're vaccinated, you're not currently not showing any symptoms, you can enter <laughs> Canal Place, and then Homie can't enter Canal Place because you know he's on some other stuff. I mean, we're already seeing it in America, right? People don't have, like, measles vaccines. People don't have mumps vaccines. We got small, I mean, we got, like, viruses that we thought were long gone coming back, like polio. Oh, yeah. I just updated my uh, booster shot this winter. And so it's, I think we are just, we just take a lot of things for granted. And then, I mean, you guys almost had, you almost, you guys almost got hit by this tropical storm, hurricane. We got hit. But what if it had been a bigger one? And I think... I'll just, probably be over there with you. So I think the, we're just coming in to, I think, an exciting time, right? I think that we've been designed to face challenges like terrorism. We clearly aren't dealing with, like, mass shootings at all, right? We just pretend that those aren't happening. And so I think... Well, they say they're random events. Yeah, random. Mass shootings are random events. Random that events that happen quite
1: frequently. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they cannot be explained.
0: I mean, they seem to happen what, quite bi, frequently.
1: Bi-weekly, bi-weekly random events.
0: Which is the other that crazy thing be... when they start telling us about black-on-black violence. They're like, only black people kill each other. And you're like, I don't know, bro. Seems like you guys kill well, a lot or of people when they talk about time. Or when they talk about profiling or clustering. I'm like, I know some motherfucking
1: show needs to be profiling. You want to talk about profiling, I... I got, I got some profiles I need you guys to investigate. Well, you saw how, how about
0: that? You saw how Trump only listed Antifa as a terrorist organization, but has refused to list any neo-Nazi organizations. And the European EU was well, complaining just, to him. They are like, uh, these boys are crazy. Well, the hilarity of the Republicans
1: deciding that their main enemy is anti-fascism. A group whose name is just anti-fascism. They're like, we hate them. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. They've taken the mask off. They're going to. They're full fascists. If they were more competent, um, we might have a real problem here.
0: Mm.
1: Thankfully, they're, they're not at all. I are a bunch of clowns.
0: I don't know how you so. think this is going to play out. I mean, I, increasingly, I'm kind of like, maybe, by the skin of his teeth, good luck. Uh, it's almost like when Obama won the Senate seat the first time, right? And like his opponent suddenly became a sexual fetishist in Paris with the Star Trek girl. And just, like, imploded on himself, right? Like, you're kind of like, maybe through some luck of the stars, Joe Biden will win. We'll skin this one out by not talking and staying in the bunker <laughs> and looking kind of sad. But So my,
1: my main concern with that, as you know, to get back to the electoral thing, is that Joe Biden is going to have to speak. And he tried to speak again yesterday, and he was forgetting where he was again. And, look, we all know Trump has mental problems, but he's a high-functioning mental patient. Whereas Joe Biden's, like, a functioning, right, senile person. Uh, I, I, I don't know what people are going to ultimately pick. Like, mm. I, I, I think... You
0: mean senility me, versus
1: lunacy? Well, so something I've learned is that a lot of people aren't, or most people, and this is the one thing I will say I've learned from my, like, conservative, quote-unquote, independent friends down here in Louisiana, you know, especially the ones that voted Obama the first time, didn't vote the second. This is a very particular group of people, too, that are going to decide this election, I think. People that voted for Obama didn't vote the second time, okay, because they were like, don't like him and don't like this Romney fool. Don't like neither one of these things. And then voted Trump. And now they don't really like Trump either. They're like in this weird. I, th- I basically think they should be Sanders supporters. They just don't want to be socialists. They don't want to admit they're socialist is the biggest problem. But they keep telling me it's not about that. You know, they just basically look at someone and check and tell if they're like, uh, they, they think they're going to be able to ride with them, right? If they want to
0: ride with this person for four years. It's like, it's like when you go to like a software firm or a tech company and they ask, are you a good fit? You know, you passed all the exams and then we're sitting there in the room and they're like, but is he a good fit? Is this a good corporate culture fit?
1: Well, if you're black, you never want to hear that one. That's always no. <laughs>
0: We got the fit exam. But that's that's why Obama was like, you know, that's why Obama was a one in a million, right? He was the the black guy that could sit down and somehow be a good fit. Nobody could quite place him, right?
1: Oh, that was his best quality. He was like a chameleon, a fantastic chameleon. Um, And he could sell you this very like amorphous dream of a vision that just sounded inspirational for almost anything you wanted.
0: I know, he made you feel like, I mean, in some ways he did what Trump did, right? He made you feel like like what they say about Trump, the people that really love him. They're like, he just says the thoughts that are already in my head.
1: Well, not me. I thought Obama was full of shit. <laughs> you know me. Don't get me started on that, boy.
0: But, I mean, you weren't one of, you weren't one of the people I think it's who, his fault. who said, yes, we can. I, I think. Si se puede.
1: Oh, sure. I'm down with that. But, I mean that sounds good. But
0: what was I just great about, about it, her, like was that we didn't know, yes we can what? He never answered the question. We were just like yes yeah, we yes can. we can what? And I remember we all were out there with Scarlett Johansson saying in Spanish "Si se puede." <laughs> but but I mean that was a that was a certain. I mean I'm just going back to your point, right? I mean he was somebody that was able to make people feel like yeah, I could ride with this dude to Taco John's. We could probably split a bean burrito. He could take my daughter to a prom. Why not? He looks like a great guy. We could play basketball together.
1: Yeah, you felt like you could play basketball with him. He wouldn't... You could probably have a beer after work. Like, if you saw him, he'd be the guy in a suit. Even if you were, like, a blue-collar worker you see at the bar, he'd be the guy you could talk about your day with. And you still like him, even though he was a black guy, even though he was clearly a lawyer or something, some kind of thing. You still liked him, you know, and you respected him because you know that guy worked hard and he deserved it, right? That whole sort of thing. But how do you go from that to Trump? I guess that's what I'm saying. That's a very particular type of person. Well, Trump is the that other guy find... that you know
0: as well, right? Like, you know, he's the rich guy, you know, he calls you Pee Wee. But you still kind of like him, right? I mean, he's just a jackass, but you... Nah, I don't think anyone likes Trump. you know. Do people like Trump? Who likes Trump? The people who say that they hear him saying things that they're already in their brain.
1: <laughs> That's him. That's Trump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's him talking about himself.
1: <laughs> yeah, <I don't...
0: laughs> or maybe you're... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're just not surprised that Trump is Trump. Because Trump is Trump. I mean, I, I agree Trump has some sort of
1: charisma. It's hard to put your finger on it. He's, he's definitely got a je ne sais quoi that you can't teach. Anyone that tries to take that from him is just being uh, foolish. I
0: think he has a. He's like
1: he's. He's probably the best. How about this? He's probably the best natural politician I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, I mean he's. But, and no one. He's good. No but, one wants to give him credit for that, but he's fucking, He's legit good. He's
0: like an evil Bill Clinton in his prime.
1: Yeah, he's legit, legit good. And and like people like he's stupid and dumb. Like well, he might be dumb. He's definitely not stupid. Or he might be stupid, he's not dumb. I don't know which one of me watched which for this guy.
0: Well but, I think what Steve Bannon said was right. He's really energetic and he has this drive to like And he can read a room he can read a
1: room quicker than I can. I mean I'll say that. I mean he's got
0: that skill. Well I mean sure. if you've been selling non existent golf cart golf course apartments for your whole life, I mean you probably can read a motherfucker, right?
1: Invisible gold bars. Invisible for sale, gold you know, bars, yeah. right? <laughs> fair enough
0: but that's kind of America right we've been selling ourselves invisible gold bars for some time right my friend wrote this book called Sounds Like Titanic and she, she she you know it was right after 9-11 we all thought we would go to the Middle East learn Arabic she learned Arabic she studied in the Middle East she couldn't get a job as a foreign correspondent um but she would have been a violinist right and she kind of bombs out of the out of the Columbia University uh symphony because, you know, it's that problem that you were talking about. You're a great violinist when you're in West Virginia. But how are you when you meet other people who are actually great violinists? And, but she gets a job, right? After college. Yeah, there's good and there's good for good. Yeah, you yeah. Just said, you but know? she gets a job after college uh, playing in a, in a symphony and touring nationally and internationally. And she's like, sweet. Mm. But she finds out, right, that they keep asking her to play more softly. And she's like, wait a minute, this is a little bit weird. You know, the mics are there. Somebody write. They're in the big halls, right? Uh, they have PBS specials. And eventually she figures out all they're doing is miming violin playing while this tapes play behind them, right? That the composer has basically taped all the things. And after listening to them for a while, she's like, you know, it all sounds like the Titanic soundtrack. And she's like, it's not even like we're fooling anybody, right? It's just like variations on theme the theme the Titanic theme song. But like her big question then becomes she does this for like two years. She goes to Japan, she travels all around America, they make two PBS specials. And she's like, What the fuck is it about Americans? Like And when they when the composer, the guy who was composing the music would make things that were a little bit different, people wouldn't like it. They really liked listening to variations of the Titanic theme song over and over. That's her so thing, man. Way. If you like the Titanic theme song, that's you know, you gotta know your niche. And so She's like, what is it? And then she's like, it finally it comes to her, and she's like, you know, after 9-11, right, Americans didn't want to talk about it. They definitely didn't want to talk about that, whatever the hell they think they're doing in Afghanistan, and that embarrassment that is Iraq. And so they were basically just like, Titanic is this movie from right before that happened, right from when it was still good. And it reminds people of it subconsciously, (laughs) even though everybody knows that we're in the shitter. And like, no it's like they're trying to it's like they're trying to
1: turn back time. My computer was doing that the other day. I booted it up. I, I'm dead serious. And for a whole day it kept saying today's September 4th, 2019. I'm like is it trying to go back before covid? <laughs> like my my, maybe my computer's like fuck this covid shit now. We need to undo this. No, nah, dude, I thought it was
0: you know, <laughs> But I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing with Trump, right? I think a whole bunch of people were like cuz Trump was big in the nineties, right? Trump was big in like the early 90s and then the early like, 2000s. I'm like yo, my, I'm like I'm like, yo, my computer's a centrist, Joe. It's trying to turn back the clock and yeah, yeah. It's I happened. feel like, I mean, well, that's what Joe, I mean, that's, I think as much as that makes people on the left upset, the one thing that might do your boy Trump in is that I think Trump was selling a kind of nostalgia, like a, like a, you know, a carefree, like I could shoot a dude. I mean, we're back in, back in the John Wayne days, like my rugby coach said. You know, when Americans knew they were Americans and it didn't matter that they were killing Indians, right? It was fine. I mean, it's what Americans supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be able to shoot people and who's going to say anything about it? I mean, that's kind of our founding myth. But, but, but I guess Joe is trying to sell the other sadness, right? He's like, you know, guys, we did some bad things, but not too bad because I'm not going to give up my Suburban. And I mean, you know, I still got the beach house, but... But Black Lives Matter, BLM, you know. It's like Joe said, BLM, but I'm not going to defund the cops. So you know. Or, 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 or his boy Clyburn, and I think that's the
1: the, the last thing we have to talk about here. And what we're <laughs> supposed to be the subject of today's <laughs> yeah. thing, we're finally getting around to it. <clears throat> is, is how in the community there's just this big divide, and it seems to be very generational about whether or not. We think even touching the cops at all is a good idea, um, and all the older, older blacks that I've spoken to, for the most part, think it's the most ridiculous thing they've heard in their lives. Um, I don't know. What's
0: what's? Why do you think that's why do you think that's the case? I think one of the things that makes us really uncomfortable as maybe as a black community, our centrist I mean, younger African-Americans, I think. And we're not that young. But let's just say people that are a little bit, yeah, that our age and younger, right? Mm. I think we struggle with the fact that a lot of our parents thought that the 1994 crime bill was a good idea. And, and supported the massive expansion of the police, the prison state, And this idea that our neighborhoods were crazy, right? I mean, there was this whole idea that we needed cops to come in and help us with gang violence. But we also, I mean, we also have to remember we are in a special generation because we're just young enough to not have seen the crack epidemic and things like that. That's not
1: really true. I was alive during the 90s. You were alive for the 90s and the late 80s. I was alive. We were alive. You weren't old enough to, like, yeah, old enough to, like, be doing crack right now. We're too young for that. I mean, thank God. I mean, I guess if that's what you're saying, yeah, we, we missed that whole, that roller coaster. But, um, I mean, we saw it. You know, um, we saw it. Yeah, I know. I saw this guy in particular in my, commu- my neighborhood that was, like, this football player I'll never forget. That was, like, this big mustard guy. He used to play lineman. And I, I, I remember my dad always using him as, like, you know, a cautionary tale. Because you saw him after he got on crack and he just look like skinny crackhead um and enough i still see that guy every once in a while when we go back to the old neighborhood and drive around He's still like walking around looking like a like a ghost um so i right, mean he survived i think um, that's the
0: big divide right there right like what do we do with people like that and like as a community i mean as african-americans talking to other african-americans what is our responsibility you know for those of us who've been lucky enough to have some property which not that many of us do right i mean what was the net, the the study that came out a few years ago that said that the um uh, personal net worth of an average African American in Boston is $8? So I mean, I think as a community those things hit us hard. And I think it's been hard. And yeah, it was like
1: versus like 30,000 for a white person or
0: something like that. It was like 100,000 for a white person because they have home equity yeah. and we have no home exactly. equity. And I think for a lot of us, the question became like, "What is our responsibility to like the dude that your dad is talking about? Like the people that are in our neighborhoods? Do we do we try to deal with them, or do we ask the state to take them away? And did we blame them for destroying our property values? For the, you know like yes like your parents maybe they they like my parents right they they scraped together enough money to buy a home. Most of their assets were in it. And they could see their neighborhood, like, slipping away around them. And, like, how do we deal with that?
1: The question is, how do we, or, or does it matter, do we need to attempt to? I guess it comes down to whether or not you think the responsibility is to try to change the system or to wholly play in it. And I think that's always going to be the debate. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of them, I guess they're saying, well, that's just the system. You're not going to change the system. The best way to get ahead... How do you think we got these assets? Was playing within the system. Who do you know who played out of the system? Who's who's okay? That's the, that's the classic. And the answer is... There are people. Right? That's the answer. They're not as popular. But that's because it's just less popular to not go through the system as well. There's a lot of...
0: And I think a lot of them got betrayed. Right? I mean, I think... If you had gone to good schools and you worked your way through the system, you bought a house. Like take New Orleans East, right? When our, when my parents bought into New Orleans East, New Orleans East was an integrated neighborhood. And then they, what did they see? They saw all their white neighbors gradually leave.
1: Yeah, I had white neighbors on both sides. They all moved to Mandeville, moved to the North Shore.
0: So I think remember
1: we had the nicest, we had the nicest mall by far in the state. We had ice, oh, no, we had an ice skating rink that was in New Orleans, in our mall, that was open all year round. That's how nice it was out there. Let's just put that in perspective. Okay? And then they redlined it. A lot of the housing out there. They did a lot of sectionating and reduced property values in large chunks um, to allow for, quote-unquote, development. And, you know, you see the same effects you've seen all, you know,
0: around the country. And I think this caused, like, massive amounts of anger, and I... And I think, unfortunately, you know, and I think this is the great shame of politicians like Bill Clinton. Like, I read somewhere Bill Clinton, at the end of his term, he said, you know, my great, he said that his great failure, right, is that, you know, he used to have that goofy slogan, a bridge through the 21st century. We're coming together to build a bridge for the 21st century. But he said his great failure was that he was never able to articulate the meaning of globalization and the post-industrial changes to to people, right? He was never able to articulate what was actually happening in the 90s in a way that made sense. And I think... Because it was it was a lie.
1: I mean, I think it's safe to say that globalization is really just a neoliberal catch-all phrase for trickle-down economics, right? I mean, to me, that's one of the chief signs that the party had been backdoored, which is something we, we may discuss at another time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to it than light cover. And, I mean, there's a reason Trump got elected. There were a lot of people that felt betrayed uh, by this alleged deal. They felt they didn't get to participate in the financialization. Uh, Most people don't have any stocks. Most people's income ran stagnant or or actually fell during this period. Um, And, you know, as I like to remind people, the African-American community lost half of its collective wealth during the Obama years. So I think a lot of people just got frustrated and they saw Trump and they fell for the propaganda and they thought he
0: was a real option out of that
1: for for better or for worse.
0: No, I mean, I think it was a long term deal, right? I mean, I think Bush, Clinton, Bush the father, (laughs) Reagan, I mean, I think they were it was a long time coming And, and and Obama as well. I mean, I think I come, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I think they didn't. I think what he was unable to explain, he cut, you know, in order to make up for what was happening in some place like the East, right? The dislocations that were going on, the deindustrialization, the movement of the port further away, its mechanization, the defunding of things like NASA, you know, all these things that didn't get more funding, they decided to blame. They decided to give us a show, of cops, which thankfully, is finally no longer running, right? And they were like, don't worry. There are super predators running around your neighborhood. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know if it's super well, I think predators. we
1: both know that's like the great uh, unkept secret in the black community that uh, you come and ask a lot of you know, middle-class blacks uh, about super predators, and they're like, oh, I'll tell you who a super predator is. Look at the corner right there. That's a super predator. You want one? Go <laughs> snatch your right, area right up off the corner. <laughs> I have no problem with that Look, whatsoever. You,
0: well, you know, there's that study, that study came out recently that said, in the Washington Post, said um, there's been no closing of the racial wealth gap between African-Americans and whites since 1968. But I was reading uh, this this old um, Martin Kilson's book, this old um, Harvard's uh, political science professor, one of his last books a few years ago, and he said, well, you know what the real problem is? He's like, the black middle has disappeared. He's like, there's 20% of African-Americans who are doing much better since 1968. And he's like, 80% are doing much, much worse. My dad was saying it the other day. He was, I was like, how can that be true, dad? And he was like, well, you know, there's something called um, demographics. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, a few of you guys are doing pretty well. Yeah, and I believe that's why
1: many of us, I mean, I know I do as a progressive. I, we get questioned on how we can have these progressive beliefs if the system seemingly has done so well for our subsection of the community. And I guess the real answer is sure it's okay, but not in comparison to how well the GDP has grown, not in comparison to how well CEO pay has raised, it's just not the same. And so if you look at the actual growth of wealth in this country, the African-American communities lost wealth, and the rest of the country is starting to leave it behind in many ways. And I guess that's the challenge. How do we come up with new solutions to actually address this problem? What is the path forward for the black community? How do they enjoy the wealth?
0: Well, a lot of people I think I think this is through throughout across the American economy, both black and white. I think there's a lot of people in the US who realize that they can't quite justify their position to themselves anymore. And they aren't really sure if the system were to get restarted that they would that they got they have all the skills they think they